Hello and welcome to Vision Extra, coming to you from Vision Australia Radio. Peter Greco with you, and it's great to welcome the program, Nicola Stowe. Nicola, thanks so much for your time. No worries, Peter. Good to join you. Now, you live with deaf blindness. So tell us a bit about uh, how long ago and, and how that was diagnosed. Okay, so I was born with what they thought at the time were damaged optic nerves. And later on, um, they found out that I have optic hyperplasia. So my optic nerves just look small, which means I can see colour and I can see things really up close. I can read sort of headline size print and a little bit smaller. And the more I use my sight, the more I can sort of get out of it. So that's a, a real plus as well. And then as I was growing up, I also have a slight spasticity down my left side, which was diagnosed when um, I started to move around and, you know, learn to walk and do all those things. And then when I was in my teens, because of ear operations and stuff like that, I became deaf in both ears. So one ear is severely deaf and the other just has a mild deafness. And so I now wear two bone-anchored hearing aids for that, which is great because I have what's called a conductive loss. And so my little hearing aids vibrate for where the bones are missing or where the middle ear is all mucked up. So they're not cochleas, they're made by cochlea but I have fairly good cochleas and so they vibrate for where my bone just can't or where the middle ear is messed up. And what about your speech, Nicola? Because obviously it's very, very good. That wasn't impacted at all because... um... No, so basically if you can learn to speak... So I had full hearing until I was um, in my teens and so I had full advantage of good hearing. So thankfully, you know, all of that stayed okay. And in fact, with my hearing aids, if they're working really, really well, I even get a little bit of echolocation. Um, okay so it's pretty cool (laughs) yeah so going through school what was that like particularly I guess in later years when uh, the hearing loss kicked in as well were you at school when that happened as well yes I was so I was one of those people who started off at the blind school at North Rocks I was there a couple of years and then I went to my local primary school and then at high school model farms high so it was tough socially because I never started off with the kids that I was growing up with sort of thing. Or I did at preschool. I went to my local preschool up the road and then I went back to the blind school. So then by the time I got into school, a lot of the kids were already in their groups and stuff. But I repeated year 11. And although that was a hard thing to have to do, I still really wanted my HSC. And at the time, by repeating year 11, I got in a nice group of friends and we went to Cool and Gatter for schoolies and everything like that. So although socially it was quite not good for several years of my schooling, um, I did academically quite well. And I ended up in a nice group of friends for year 11 and 12 and we did stuff together like, you know, go shopping and the things girls normally do <laughs> growing up in their teens. Yeah. Yeah. Now you said you were keen to get your HSC. Was that for any particular reason in terms of what you wanted to do after that? Yes. I mean, like a lot of people, things didn't turn out quite the way I had first envisaged or thought of. These days, people change careers quite a lot. But back Mm. then, I really wanted to go to university, possibly to do um, some sort of degree in habilitation and, you know, along the lines of social work, that sort of thing. So that's why I wanted my HSC to be able to go and do that. When I actually finished my HSC, I didn't quite get the marks to get into the subjects I wanted to, but by that stage... I had been offered the job at Royal Institute for Deaf and Blind Children as a publications officer, which essentially was Braille proofreading for the students in the private independent schools. So I took the job and was very glad because then by the time, in those days, the HSC didn't come out till a bit later, so it didn't come out, the results didn't come out till the beginning of the new year. 
I'd already started my job and found out that I hadn't got into uni anyway. So I thought, oh, well, that's okay. That's fine. I've got a job. So I might do things the other way around, which is what I did in the end. I started work for RIDBC and was there, well, what's now called Next Sense, but back then it was RIDBC. And I was there for nearly 17 years. (laughs) Okay. And the love of Braille, was that before you did the the job, as it were? or uh... Oh, look, yeah. I mean, Braille was a part of my life every day because from the time I was at blind school in those early days, I remember some of the students that if they looked at the Braille dots, the teachers would realise if they could see that small, they would be able to read okay. print. And I never wanted to do that. <laughs> okay. I had Braille right from the get-go, right from the beginning. And so probably at school and things like that, it was more of a tool, but it was definitely something that I loved because I could read. I could read any books that were available in Braille, which back then there weren't as many as there are now because of electronic Braille and things like that. But, yeah. yeah. You're a good Braille reader for uh, listeners to Focal Point. We uh, heard you read wonderfully well uh, a tribute to Lisa Hayes uh, via a poem. So obviously the more you read, the better you get at it. Uh, and, yeah, you've sort of maintained those skills uh, not that it's that long ago, but for, for these years? Oh, that's for sure, because I use it in lots of practical ways every time I do something. So, like, I run small groups and things like that through my church, and sometimes I might have to go and speak somewhere or whatever, and I will Braille the notes, and I'll hard copy Braille them on the, the old Perkins Brailler because <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to have my technology go down in the middle of something I'm doing and then have a big gap between what I'm doing because often you've only got a limited time frame. You're given so much to speak or so much to teach something in. And so mm-hmm. depending on what it is, I will actually Braille it out, especially if there's no one else with a print copy there or something like that. What about the uh, world's uh, worst fear for a Braille reader, uh- if you get caught in the rain when you're going somewhere. Oh, yes. Well, thankfully, I put, I've put. i always got it in a, a thick bag or something. So okay. <laughs> Nicola, uh, what about after that? Because I know uh, you did some work in the area of chaplaincy. Is that right? Yes. So basically the church I belonged to at the time, I did two years study at Bible College, which was a residential live-in situation. And after that, the organisation decided to have me as an aged care chaplain and I moved for about just over three years to Queensland, and I was a chaplain in aged care. What was that like? Because, I mean, you would have been quite young. I know that doesn't, you know, you don't have to be old to work in aged care, but uh, for a young person who had to relate to older people, was that something that sort of came easily to you? It wasn't too bad. The hardest thing, though, was the people that had become non-verbal because Mm. these days what is happening in aged care, because the government and things want people to stay at home a lot longer, And it's much nicer for them if they can stay at home. I was working in the hostel, which years ago would have been a place where people were, you know, maybe they only just couldn't cook for themselves or just needed a bit of a hand showering or that sort of thing. But during the day, they could wander around and do things for themselves. But by the time I was in aged care, which was, I'm 48 now, and I started there when I was 40, around about, and the people in the hostel area now were becoming increasingly more what they call high care. And so because of that, you know, there were some residents that it was really hard to relate to because you walk into a room and, you know, they might have been on an oxygen bottle, things like that. So therefore, if they were on oxygen, you had to be careful of the hose on the ground and Mm -hmm. different other obstacles that you might not have thought of traditionally as in the hostel kind of environment. So, yeah, it was changing. And they say now that in aged care, the average time a person might spend there is three years before they die. So it was quite a challenging time in that sense, because some people I could really relate to because they'd been in the hostel for years before it had changed to what it is today. 
and those residents I could really, you know, relate to, talk to. They were verbal enough to have, you know, good conversations about. There was a guy, I'll call him Frank, that's not his name, but Frank Mm -hmm. uh, decided that, like, he found out fairly early on because I used to have to go and do their needs assessments for spirituality and stuff like that, and he found out that I had lived in Parramatta. And he had lived in Parramatta and was a great eel supporter. He could never <laughs> remember my name, but he'd, every time he'd see me in the corridor, he'd say, hi, Para, hi, Para. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a great example of how people might relate. I mean, obviously, uh, in terms of being able to relate to you, that was the thing that, um, you know, that, that uh, you know, worked for him. Well, that's right. And so basically as a chaplain, we were to give spiritual and or emotional support. So, some of the people there didn't want to know the things that, um, like some people there were from the, the church that I belonged to and so they w- would want a scripture reading and a prayer and things like that, whereas there were some other residents that just, there was one lady who, I'll call her Jane, she had really, really bad arthritis and she did not like being in the hostel at, at all because her mind was good and things like that and there were less people to talk to and she didn't want to have those things happen for her, but she was so grateful when I said, no, I'm here for the emotional support as well. So I would go and visit her quite a bit and talk to her because I could see how frustrated she was with things like on the TV. She would, she was so sharp that she would know every repeat that she'd seen. Oh, it's a repeat again, she'd say. You know? yeah. It was really hard for her because mind-wise she was quite fine, but her body just wasn't working properly for her. So she had to be somewhere that was... Yeah, quite tough. And that work came to an end, didn't it? And now you're doing a lot of volunteer work. Yeah, so I became redundant for that particular organisation and then they sent me back home to Sydney and I do a lot of volunteer work for my current church and so I go to Parramatta Baptist and it's actually in another suburb other than Parramatta but there's lots of things. (laughs) do there um so yeah I um sometimes I'll read the bible in church or things like that other times I'll pray with people sometimes it's a mentoring role it just depends what's happening at the time at the moment it's a real season of helping run the courses that are available so there's one all on blessing that's coming to an end this coming week on Thursday and I've been doing that on Monday mornings and Thursday nights and so I'm a small group leader for that so we have a DVD that we all watch together as a main group and then we'll go into smaller groups and I'll facilitate the group's learning so that they stay on track and make sure the dominant ones have a time of quietness while to let the shy uh-huh. ones have their say. So, yeah. Well, I'm sure that's a skill. And, Nicola, with your deaf blindness in terms of um, peer support, how do you think that uh, plays out for you and your, your support and experiences in life with others? Yeah, it's a really tricky one geographically when you are deafblind. I mean, Mm. I have a little bit of vision and pretty good hearing with my hearing aids. So I'm very blessed and and fortunate that I can interact with the people, you know, at church and things like that. But it is very, very difficult because some things like Deafblind International are trying to help people have networks and things where they get together more uh, online and things like that. So online and that sort of thing is helping But it is quite a challenge because there are so many different ways you can be deafblind. So you might be born deaf first and then lose your sight later and all of that sort of thing. So it's very hard to have. I mostly have peers that are blind rather than deafblind because those people can move about a bit easier, can use the telephone, for example, in a conventional way, that sort of thing. So it's a real challenge. I think the technology is getting better and I think in time it will get better and better. But 
because of geographical boundaries, that's also not easy. So, for example, Deafblind Association that I've had things to do with in the past, you know, if you want to go to their things, sometimes, you know, their office is sort of around the Concord area. So not everybody lives in the same part of the city to, to be able to participate very easily unless you've got the right NDIS supports and things like that. So I think mm. technology is a big part of the answer to some of that because you can be on mailing lists or things like that, or even there's a couple of deafblind people that I know that are on Facebook, which means you can Facebook message each other quite happily, which I've done. One of my Facebook friends is deafblind and she lost her hearing first, but she's quite proficient at Facebook and things like that. So it's great to be able to swap ideas and things with her and the technology helps us do that much better. Nick, we're out of time. Love to spend a bit of time with you and get a bit of an insight into the things that you've done and um, the, the things that you still continue to do. So uh, thank you for being with us for a bit of time this evening. No worries, Peter. Thanks a lot. That's our guest on Vision Extra, Nicola Stowe. That is it for the program. If you've missed some of it, maybe not here again. You can go to our website, www.baradio.org forward-based podcast. The program to look for is Vision Extra. That's the name of this one, back on this radio station at the same time next week. Listener.